life never happens as you expect it to happen, does it? Like we have all these plans and all these thoughts and all the, all the things and life just doesn't ever happen that way. You know, and someone asked me and they was like laughing because like, so I get this call at like 12.30 on th- Wednesday night. Well, first of all, we're at the memorial and it's like five minutes before the memorial service and Paige calls and she was slightly upset. Um, <laughs> slightly, <laughs> you know, Paige. Um, Paige. Paige, when she feels anything, just cries. She'll tell you this. She knows this. It's okay. So, look, I have to speak at the memorial. James is speaking at the memorial. The memorial's here. Paige calls. She's crying. I'm like, hey, what's wrong? She's supposed to be coming home the next morning with our cousin Devin. She's like, Devin has COVID, and I'm never coming home. And I'm like, (laughs) maybe she wasn't quite that dramatic, but it was pretty close. (laughs) Yeah, she's saying, yes, I was. I was like, okay. So, I'm like, finally, yeah. Anyways, so I was like, it's going to be fine. Dad will come get you. It's going to be okay. And so I tell James, and James is like, okay, yeah, it's fine. We'll do the memorial. I'll leave. Tally and I will go halfway to a serious, and then we'll go pick her up tomorrow. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, well, he gets in the vehicle after they get, like, just outside of a serious and obviously hit a buck and total their car. And so I get this call at 1230 in the morning. And uh, the next morning, um, I wake up at 6, which I didn't really sleep because now I'm, like, thinking, how am I getting Paige home and getting James and Talia home and we need a vehicle? And so all the things at the worst possible time. Because anyone who knows our world right now, like, James and I are both going different directions, basically from, like, 7 in the morning till 10 at night, which might seem like crazy, and it is, but it's fine because then we basically get two to three weeks off. So don't feel that bad for us. It'll be fine. But anyways, so I get up. I'm up at 6. I'm like trying to figure out how I'm getting Paige home and Ethan, who's supposed to be coming home with her, and uh, all the things and how I'm getting James home and all this stuff. So I'm up at 6. I have to leave my house by 7.45 because I need to be in Nelson for a meeting uh, that starts at 9 until 4 and then go straight to a budget meeting at 5 till 9 at night. Okay? So this is my day. And I'm tired. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, dear Jesus. <laughs> like, you know... I'm okay. Like, James and I joke all the time. We live with life, like, to the max, and we're okay with it. Like, we actually quite enjoy that. Like, we enjoy that rhythm most of the time. It's just who we are. It's our personalities, and we're totally fine. The problem with that is, is it only takes one drop to put it over the max. And so I'm, like, up that morning. I call Paige. I'm like, hey, Paige, so which one of the students are there? And she's bawling, like, I'm never getting home. And poor Paige. I'm usually really compassionate. I told her, I said, you need to suck it up right now. <laughs> like, just stop. You can have a meltdown in two hours, but right now I just need your help. And she's like, okay. <laughs> the poor child. So this is me publicly saying, Paige, I'm sorry I wasn't very compassionate in that moment as a mom. But anyways, we got them all home. I say all that just to say we got them all home, and life doesn't happen as you expect, Right? It just doesn't happen as you expect. And this morning we're actually going to pre- or we're going to Read in scripture about what was prophesied about who we're celebrating this season. And what that means. But the news flash, they almost missed it. And majority of them did. Why? Because it didn't show up how they expected it to show up. You know, I sat after and I thought, I thought, okay, Something stopped Paige from leaving on Thursday to get home and then stopped it again. And yes, James and Talia are a little sore and we're out of car. But I have no idea what God prevented from her being on the road that day. See, sometimes it's perspective 
that shifts whether or not God is present or he's not. Sometimes it's our perspective on what we're seeing. God's always doing his thing and life happens and sometimes it's really hard and I'm not minimizing the hard. What I'm saying is that our perspective isn't God's and if we can't align ourselves to God's perspective, we may miss where he is and what he's doing and we're going to sit in our mess and we're going to be wondering, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Why am I lonely? Why am I all by myself? And he's saying, because I've been over there the whole time waiting for you. You just haven't gotten up and moved. Sometimes we talk about God's goodness and we talk about his miraculous and all of the things. And yes, it is God who does it all, but we do have a job to play in it. And we sometimes minimize that. And that is to actually look and see where are you, Lord, and how do I partner with that and how do I move myself to align to that. And if we don't make a choice to do that, don't be surprised if you don't see him. This morning we're going into chapter to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, starting in verse 6, actually only verse 6. Let us read it together. We're going to look at what was the promise that comes in Jesus, who was, who was here and still present today. What was the promise that they were told about? This was thousands of years before Jesus came, okay? Thousands of years. This is what was said about him. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. Nothing to do with my sermon this morning, but that is probably one of the most comforting verses in the Bible for my life right now. I don't know about you, but sometimes God puts things and you're like, God, this is way too heavy for me to carry. And it's like sometimes God needs to remind you that actually, no, you're just the conduit, but you're really on my shoulders. Amen? Amen. Here's where we're going. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. It says, for a child will be born to us. We are told that Jesus will come. And there is prophecy over prophecy over prophecy that was written thousands of years before Jesus actually came of how he was going to be born and where he was going to be born and what would happen when he was born. All the way from being born in Bethlehem to him being born in a lowly place. All of these things were said. But because it did not look like what they thought it would look like, they were expecting a military king they all, most of them missed it. This child was born. And what does it say about this child? It says, let's read it one more time. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. We're going to look at this morning, what do those words actually mean? But here's the thing. A baby wasn't that yet, was he? He was the promise of what was to come. He was the essence. He was the smell of what was cooking. I know it's a funny thought, but think about it, right? Like he was like, he was like the, you know, the wafting of, you know, when you're cooking turkey dinner and you're, you're getting hungry and you're like, I just want to eat it. You know what's coming and you can smell it. And it's like, okay, okay, but I have to wait. 
That's kind of what Jesus was, right? Like he's there, and he probably was smelly because he's a baby, and he's living in a trough. So I'm sure he was smelly. But you know, that, that thought of like, even in that, they knew that he was the promise. But I don't think Mary and Joseph were looking at, oh my goodness, my little baby, look how wonderful of a counselor he is, and he's going to save me. And now they're like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? You know, the shepherds that came and the, and the wise men that came who probably weren't there until he was, like, two running around in, like, a terror. I mean, I'm sure that, like, Jesus, even though he was Jesus, still was a toddler, right? He said he was fully human. They all looked at this baby. They said, this is the promise? But here's the thing. There was beauty in it. And, yes, there was awe in it. But I do wonder, like, the shepherds, as they are out there, and the angels show up, like Xandra told us this morning, and they're, they're worshiping, and they're saying, this baby has been born. The king is here. And the shepherds are like, the king's here. And they follow, and they go to the manger, and they're like, this? This is the king? This is that saves us? And let's say even if they totally understood that this was the king that was going to save them, that this was the one that was going to be the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, this was it. Do you think that they realized in that moment that, great, so finally the thing we've been waiting for is here, but now we have to wait another 30 years. Has anyone been there or is it just me? Where God gives you a spark of the prophecy that maybe someone spoke over you when you were young. Or a spark of the promise that he's put in your life. And he shows you the glimmer of what it's going to look like. But then you realize, oh, it may still be another 20 years. Anyone else who has a mixture of like, Thank you, Lord, but I'm not sure that's any better. I think I would have just rather waited the 20 years and not known. Am I the only one that thinks these things? You know, it kind of feels that, like, tearing inside of you. Like, great, thanks, thank you for that. But I'm sure they realized in that moment that this Messiah that they had been waiting for, this person that was going to save them, and although they didn't even know what that meant, Right? Most of them thought this was a military saving from the oppression that they were under. And it wasn't. We know that. This was a spiritual saving for freedom forever. But even in that moment, I think they realized pretty quick when they stared at this baby that this wasn't happening tomorrow. And when you've been waiting thousands of years, it may not seem like a lot to wait 20 more, but almost there's something as humans that we almost have an easier time having hope for what seems impossible than when we see the glimmer of the possibility but know the length of the waiting. There's a challenge living in the in-between, isn't there? There's a challenge in the journey, which is funny because everything in Scripture says that in order to get to God's goodness, in order to get to the gold that's in the middle, that there's going to be a challenge, doesn't it? It's funny how often we're surprised that life is hard. What does it say? It says it over and over, the refining fire. 
How do you refine the goodness, the dross? Like, how do you get all that off? What does it look like? It means you put something in, like, the hottest thing possible. You burn it all off. Anyone here been burnt before? Does it feel good? Like, burns are the hardest pain. Like, that's what they say, the rawness of what brings out that. Like, that's what Scripture equates the gold that, that we can get to. That's the process we have to go through. Why? Because it actually shows us that the only way to get there is reliance on him. The only one that can carry the burdens of a fallen world is the Lord. Refining fire. The other image we see often is oil and olive oil. And when you're in, we were in Israel and you saw these old presses that they used to do and you learn about olive oil. Anyone know how olive oil is made? Okay, olive oil is made, which is one of our best oils, right? And you get the really good olive oil. I'm going to tell you how it's made. You take olives and you press them over and over and over. And what comes out is this oil. And then after they get that oil, they take the olives again and they press it. And to get really, really good olive oil, it has to go under more pressure than you can imagine. I know this isn't very hopeful at Christmas time. <laughs> Maybe it's the state of my life right now. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but honestly, there's this moment where all of this happened this week, and I'm preaching on this, and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, God, I could do nothing but laugh because the reality is, is that the reason why people ask, you're just like, how are you okay? Like, everything seems to be falling apart this week, and you got all these things, and they're like, why are you here? And I was like, because God has it under control. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, what am I going to do to fix any of this? I can't fix it. You know, there's something when you've been through enough, when you said yes to Jesus enough, and I promise you, when you say yes to Jesus, it's going to be a ride. When you say yes to Jesus enough, and you go through the pressing, and you've had enough time sitting on your face before the Lord where you are crying and you are overwhelmed, and you're like, I can't do another step, so you'd better show up. Those are the moments that refine you. Here's the problem. We shy, we shy away from them and we actually only tiptoe into them. And then we find ways to distract ourselves and comfort ourselves to not go fully in. We want the promise of what was in Jesus. You better be willing to be fully in. Otherwise, you will probably have salvation one day. I can't tell you that. Only Jesus can in your heart. But you'll have salvation one day. You'll get to be with Jesus one day, and that's great. But you want the promise, the fullness of what Scripture says about what Jesus did, why he came. We're going to talk about those words this morning. You want the fullness of that. you got to be willing to go through the fire and got to be willing to be pressed to get to the best. Because the promise on the other side is worth it. A couple years ago, I went hiking, backpacking with a couple of friends. We went up to uh, a cabin up in the Valhalla's. And I hadn't been in years. 
And some of you may have heard this story before. So I hadn't been in years. I used to do this stuff all the time. I was a teenager. And, you know, you're just like, I could do this. It's going to be fun. Yeah, right. I'm like an hour. And, and let's, let's be honest. Like everyone else is at least five years younger than me, if not younger than that. So just give me a little bit of grace. They're all like hiking up this mound. They're perfectly fine. I'm like there. I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm, who thought this was a good idea? I am going to die, right? Uh, they're like, everyone okay? I need a break. Everyone's like, no, no, we're good. I'm like, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> Can we just stop? I didn't say that because I'm too prideful to say that, but it's fine. I just kept on going, right? So we get up there and we push through and we get up to the top and like there was many moments where I like thought, I was like, I, Rachel, give me your keys. I'm going to go back down. I'll come back and pick you guys up in a couple days. It's going to be fine. But I didn't. And I made it to the top. And there's this moment when you push through where you're standing up there and you're looking over the serene valley and you just feel like, I would have missed this if I gave up. I would have missed it. I would have been fine. I would have gone home. I would have had a coffee. Things, I don't drink coffee. I would have had tea. I don't know where that came from. I don't drink coffee. Uh, maybe I'm that tired that I'm actually thinking, like, maybe you should take up coffee. Um, no. Like, I would have been fine. I would have had no idea what I missed. I probably would have felt a little bad about myself because I gave up. But I would have had no idea what I missed. And I wonder, how often do we do that in our Christian faith? We've missed the goodness that God has for us because we just didn't really want to push through. God's promises are so much bigger than we could ever imagine. His goodness, his provision, his all the things that we see and we're going to talk about, I promise you, I'm getting there. Everyone's like, well, your sermon's almost done and you haven't even got to what you said you're getting to. Don't worry. I'm getting there. We miss getting there. And I actually partially get a little annoyed. And this might just be the lack of filter because I'm tired. But I'm going to say it anyway. You ready? I get a little annoyed sometimes because people will come and they'll look and they'll talk about our lives. And they'll be like, you know what? Oh, you look at you. How do you guys like, like almost idolize us? Like somehow like you guys are so good and wonderful. And how do you have so much like good things? And God's done some, some miraculous things in your life and all of these things. And part of me just gets annoyed. And I want to like, do you know what it took? Like, this isn't because we're special. This isn't because somehow we are better. This is actually just because we chose to say yes to the fullness of what that meant. I promise you, there's nothing different about me than anyone sitting in this room. God will do miraculous things in your life. You will have crazy stories of him showing up if you say yes and mean it. But see, they missed it. They missed all the goodness. See, because what God's doing, what he's going to do, often doesn't look like what we think it's going to look like. Even with the best prophecy, the best prophetic word, we are a spirit-believing church here. We believe that God speaks through his people, that he gives prophetic words. Here's the caution of them, that even the best prophetic words, sometimes we can interpret wrong, can't we? We put our own lens on it. And then we look back and we're like, wow, <laughs> that's not what it meant. We need to be careful to be obedient 
to every step that God asks us to be obedient to and hold things pretty loosely of what we think the future is going to look like because God never or very rarely ever does things the way we think he's going to. If we choose to push through, especially this season, to realign our hearts and say, God, in a season where we're actually celebrating you, I better make time for you. It's a challenge for me, right? In a season that's supposed to be about you, am I making time to hear you, to listen to you, to be present with you? If we do that, here's the promises. You ready? Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What does that mean? Mighty God. The word mighty actually is talking about military strength. We see it in 1 Samuel and we see it in Kings where the same word is used. And it's actually talking about this military strength. This hero that comes in and rescues. We are all fighting battles that we're trying to fight on our own. And God says, actually, if you surrender, Jesus says, I will come in and I will fight your battle. That was the promise. Wasn't it? It was the promise. Here's why I think we don't actually see a God that's willing to fight our battles for us. is because we're not willing to wait long enough. We get very impatient with our battles, don't we? We get very impatient with our negative emotions. We get very impatient with things that are difficult. And so sometimes we don't sit with them long enough. We don't sit on our faces before the Lord and say, I'm not moving here until I feel you show up, until I hear from you, God. I don't care. You know the interesting thing about the Pentecostal movement? Anyone know the history of the Pentecostal movement? Okay, I'm going to give you a little tidbit. You ready? This is free this morning. won't even charge you. I learned it in Bible college. Cost me a lot more. Um, Here's the interesting thing about the Pentecostal movement. Happened earliest, uh, just over 100 years ago, early 1900s. There is this group of people right across the world who were not talking to one another because, you know, internet wasn't a thing. And so they all read scripture, and this is what they noticed. They said in scripture, they are seeing something different than what they're seeing reflected in the church. Here's the main thing they were seeing. They were seeing, we see miraculous things happening in scripture that we are not seeing happen in the church. We're seeing that there was this power, that there was, these, uh, there was these things that were happening in the church. Things like prophetic words. This stuff was not active in the church at the time. Like prophecy and speaking in tongues and uh, spiritual songs and all this stuff was not present. And so they started reading scripture and they're like, but it's in here and we're not seeing it. And something stirred in their spirits. And here's what they did. They went into their prayer closets and 75% of it was women. Apparently we want to listen more. Just saying. It's just a joke, guys. It's just a joke. James isn't here. He's in Grand Forks. Everyone wondering? He's speaking in Grand Forks at the church there. They needed, a, needed uh, help. Anyways, so I can say whatever I want this morning. <clears throat> it's fine. He won't listen to it. I promise. <laughs> he has to listen to me enough. Okay. Uh, so there is all of these women. Not all. Mostly. Okay. Who just were like, there's got to be more. 
Like they, the last movement was the holiness movement. It was about 100 years before that. And they realized, wow, we've got a lot of stuff in our lives that should not be in our lives. And they really like, it was like a God a wave went over the church and said, you need to clean up your lives. Your life should look righteous before me. And so that's what had happened. Well, now they become so legalistic that the spirit of the Lord had been absent. And so all these people were in their closets, and this is what they determined. They actually, and if you read their stories, they actually had this determination in them. They said, we're not leaving until we see what we see in Scripture. Some of them, it was months, every day. Every day, sometimes for an hour, two hours. Some were eight hours a day because they were just stay at home. Like they didn't have a job, and so they could. So they, they actually went, and they were on their knees for hours waiting for God to show up. They were sitting in the fire saying, God, get rid of anything that's a barrier to who you are. And we have a hard time coming to church for an hour a week and saying that we can make time for that. Challenging, isn't it? We have time saying we can give 10% of our income that the scripture calls us to give. I know that's really hurtful. I hear you. But it says it. And we have a hard time saying, but I'm not really sure because that might mean that I can't make my bills. What you really mean is it means I can't have as many coffees as I intended to have this month because I'm not willing to give God what he promised that he would return. So what happened is they sat, some of them it was weeks, some of them it was months, they sat praying, God, show up. There's more. I know there's more. You promised us more, and we're going to wait until you show up. And you know what happened all over the world? Really crazy. And it's in history books. This isn't just like the Pentecostals who think this happened. This is actually church history. What happened all over the world is people started speaking in heavenly languages in their homes, in their rooms. They'd never heard it before. They'd never seen it before. They didn't know what scripture meant when they were talking about speaking in tongues and languages. All across the world, people started speaking in other languages in their prayer closets. The Holy Spirit fell, and he was present because people were willing to wait what he promised. Our lack of seeing God's move is because we don't make space and time. James says it all the time. He says, if God cannot drive you, what does that mean? It means make you think that success means one thing when it really doesn't. I promise you, when you get to heaven one day, God's not going to care if you got to the top of the totem pole here on earth. He's not going to care if you have new vehicles and you have a new car and your house looks great and all the things. He will not care. What he will care about is who you impacted here on this earth. What he'll care about is what you're willing to surrender to him. If God cannot, if the, what James says is if the devil cannot distract you or if he cannot drive you, now you know what the other one is. If he cannot drive you, he'll distract you. Anyone feeling driven or distracted by our world lately? See, the promises that we have for this season are the words that I promise I got two minutes to get into. We will not see them if we do not make space for him to see them. The mighty God, the one who fights our battles, who actually promises to bring us through them. 
everlasting father. It's this idea. I love that actually, side note, that Jesus, that in the words that we talk about Jesus, who is the third head of the Trinity, second, anyways, he's in the Trinity, you know, the three, uh, that in what promises are in him, that they actually prophesy that all of the, all of the Trinity is in him. Counselor, Prince, God, Father. Anyways, I just think that's beautiful. Solely a side note. Everlasting Father. What does the word actually mean? It actually means Father forever. It's like that idea when you, know, when you look at your kids and you said, I'll love you forever and you mean it. Like you just know that no matter what they do, you might be disappointed. Let's not pretend that we don't get disappointed in our kids. We do. But it doesn't mean you love them less. But like, you know, when your kid says something or does something to someone, you're like, I raised you better than that. My kids never do this, by the way, because they're both here and I want them to feel loved. So, you know. But I also want them to know honesty. So let's let's not pretend. Uh, You know, like they, all of our kids sometimes. And so there's this piece of like, This father that says, yeah, it doesn't actually matter. If you choose to be my kid, it doesn't matter how bad you get. I'm still going to love you. I'm still your father. That's what was promised. One that fights our battles. One that loves us in our darkest. When we do those things that the whole world knows and sees, and you're like, that was a really bad thing to do. He's the safe father to go in. Now, he's not going to tell you that it was okay, your behavior. But what he is going to do is he's going to be present and comfort you. He's going to remind you that it doesn't really matter what everyone else thinks because he still loves you. Wonderful counselor. I actually quite love this because the word there, wonderful, it actually means um, supernatural and miraculous. We have a uh, we have a profession right on earth that's a counselor. I think they're extremely important. I think that we are body, mind, and spirit. We go to the doctor for our body. It is not bad to go to a counselor for our mind. Amen? There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's our only view of what a counselor is, I don't think we're totally understanding what the promise was. The promise wasn't just a counselor that actually sits with us and walks us through our pain and tries to get us healed and gives us coping mechanisms to deal with our trauma and all those things. That's not the promise. That's not the kind of counselor that Jesus is uh, Scripture is talking about Jesus being. He's saying a miraculous counselor, one that creates miracles in our pain. See, when you choose to walk through your pain with Jesus, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying don't do it with human beings too, but if you choose to walk completely through your healing with Jesus, he's not just going to get you to be able to cope. What he's going to do is he's going to take it and make something miraculous out of it. Amen? His promise is, is that if you choose to do the hard, and that's long, and that is, takes time, He says, I will do something miraculous. I am the counselor that is there comforting, that is present, 
but not just to leave you there. It's actually the promise is I'm going to take you and I'm going to make something beautiful out of your pain. doesn't mean he always takes your pain completely away. I think that there is some pain that probably just sticks a little longer. And some pain that will stick right through to look heaven one day when we're fulfilled. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. But his promise is, is that I'm going to take that pain and I'm going to make something beautiful out of it. I'm going to take it and make something miraculous out of it. But I'm going to counsel you through it. You know, sometimes I had a friend, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday talking about a situation and just how sometimes there is different ways to handle the exact same situation and the Holy Spirit's the only one that can tell us how. We can read all the books in the world, all the self-help books, all the leadership books, all the -the fill-in-the-blank books, and they can tell you how to handle conflict and communication and fill-in-the-blank, but they don't supersede the Holy Spirit, do they? And how often do we want to have the tools to deal with things on our own because we want to be great. We want to know that we're the ones who did it. And sometimes we need to take a step back and say, I'm just going to wait until your Holy Spirit gives me wisdom on how to deal with it. The waiting is key. And the last, the last one that we see is Prince of Peace. We all want peace, don't we? Whether it's actual peace in our nation, in our world, or whether it's internal peace in our souls, we all need a little more peace, don't we? What he promises is that he is the Prince of Peace. That, what does that mean? That means he's the ruler of all peace, which means true peace can only come from him. The sad thing about that is that that means our world will never actually have peace until he comes again. We can pray for it. We can pray for sustaining in it. But we live in a fallen world that will always have turmoil somewhere. But his promises in our individual lives that he is the prince of peace. He is the authority of peace. But to get to his peace... And you know where I'm going with this? It's in the waiting. It's in the time with him. It's being present with him. And sometimes we have scheduled our faith. What do I mean by that? I mean that we put our hour in on Sunday mornings and we assume that we have done our job as a Christian Maybe we're really, really good at having devotional time. I'm really bad at it. I'm just honest. I'm going to tell you honestly as your pastor. I am actually really, really bad at regular day-to-day devotional time. Total confession. You can fire me if you'd like. I'm not even paid, so it's fine. Right? I'm just bad. It does not mean that I don't listen to the Lord or that I'm not present with the Lord. But sometimes we have, caught, we have created this environment where our faith is compartmentalized. There's a time where we behave like a Christian, where we have practices of a Christian. And don't get me wrong, practices and rituals are important. But there's this time frame for it. And then we seem to forget that God's around the rest of the time. 
I had to wrestle through it because I felt like I was less spiritual because my practices were different than other people's. And then I realized that, I don't know, I think through some really hard things very early on in my life, there was this understanding in me that God was present all the time, that I was talking to him and engaging with him all the time. I rarely sit down intentionally to just pray for an hour. But the practice that I've developed in my life from a very young age is engaging in prayer, praying without ceasing. That's what scripture talks about. This understanding that God's present at every moment. And so when I'm driving in my car and something comes to my mind, I'm talking to him. When I'm in the shower and I'm listening to my Bible, I'm like, oh, God, that's good. I get very distracted sitting still. I don't know if you would have guessed that about me, but it's true. I don't sit still a lot. It's just not who I am. But I hear God when I'm on the move. But that is a practice that we have to intentionally walk through. And then... When we start to do that, we start to push, we start to willing, willingly surrender everything we have, maybe, just maybe, we'll be a people that won't miss baby Jesus. Amen? Maybe, just maybe, we'll be a people that can wait the 30 years with anticipation and hopeful anticipation till we see him show up. Amen? Remember, he's born. His ministry doesn't start for 30 years. 30 years they waited. After they'd been waiting for thousands of years. And it still didn't come how they expected. I'm going to call the worship team up. Clearly kids are having a great time somewhere. Can anyone hear them screaming? Like. <laughs> Be fundraising for like insulation next year all the kids we have. My challenge this morning is that there are things that were promised and they are really, really good things. They are good things that we have promises for. But sometimes we are missing the mark because it doesn't look like what we think it's supposed to look like. We're missing the mark because we're not willing to push through. We're missing the mark because we're relying on ourselves just too much. This morning, I want to be a church. I am so inspired, and not because Pentecostal and our name on our wall is Pentecostal. That's not why I'm inspired. But I'm so inspired by the movement when I read and I know the history of where we come from. I'm inspired because I'm like, I want to be that person. Anyone else with me? Like, honestly, I want to be that person that says there's nothing more important than waiting for you to show up. There's nothing that needs to be done more than that. And trust me, that takes a lot of, like, discipline in my life because there's a lot of things that think they're more important. <laughs> I'm just going to pray over us. If you want to stand, that is my heart for us as a church is that we would, we would have faith that is willing to let God show up however he wants to show up, that we would have faith that is willing to sit and pursue him in that way.
that we'll have faith to surrender all of ourselves, all of our finances, all of our time, all of our talents, that it would be about people seeing him and not us, especially this season. Let me pray over you. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the promise that we were given. I pray that we would not miss you because we're too busy looking at what things were supposed to look like. Or we're too busy trying to create our own kingdoms that we're forgetting about yours. God, I pray that you would align us as a church with you. God, I pray this morning for those that need your peace, that they would receive it as they worship, as they spend time in your presence. God, I pray that that peace would show up. God, I pray for those that need a counselor to help them through their healing. God, I pray that you would show up and you'd be present. For those that need a father to hug them with all the mess they know they've created. God, I pray that you'll show up. For those that are fighting battles that seem too big. God, I just pray that you will fight them for them, that they would surrender today. In your precious name, amen.